Have you ever been told at some point in your life that you are not good enough, smart enough, strong enough, rich enough, or any reason really? This podcast is meant to teach, motivate, and inspire you to never lose sight of what your true passion is and to always believe that you are far more capable than you think. Welcome to the Why Not Me podcast with your host, David Lawrence. Each week, we'll bring to you a guest with that similar background that they've been told at some point that they couldn't succeed or was smart enough or rich enough or where they came from. We hope that this podcast will inspire you and lead you and motivate you to discover your purpose, passion, and drive. Sit back and relax as our guest brings you a very special story each and every week. Yeah, becoming a major league umpire was definitely my dream job. That was, I mean, to, to be able to achieve that would have been awesome. And, um, you know, taking that, that leap, that step to go to the professional umpire school was, you know, that, that big step. That was the first step. You have to go to one of those schools. Um, so being able to do that um, and, and achieving that and then finally getting hired, um, you know, that, that was a really good feeling. And then once I was hired, it was then a matter of creating different goals throughout my minor league career that I had to achieve in order to get to becoming a big league umpire. Because it's not like you, you know, a player gets drafted, you know, depending on how good they are. Right. You know, let's say Bryce Harper, for example. He goes and plays maybe half a season in minor league baseball and then he's in the big league straight away. It doesn't happen with umpires. We start down at the bottom of the Gulf Coast League and then we work our way each year through through the ranks until we're eventually um, looked at by Major League Baseball. So setting those goals at different levels to try and attain, that was my that was my process that I went through. Okay, hey, this year I gotta get, you know, to here, this year I gotta get to here, this year, you know, etc. Welcome back to the Why Not Me podcast with your host, David Pohorns. Today we have a special guest to you. I'm proud to introduce to you John Byrne. Uh, John has brings a wealth of experience in Major League Baseball and collegiate baseball. And, and a fun fact is John was actually and is, to my knowledge, and John can correct me on this, but his Australia's first and only Major League Baseball umpire. So without further ado, um, welcome, John. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. Sure. So was was my fact correct? <laughs> is it, are you still the only... Uh, Major League Baseball umpire coming out of Australia? Yes. So um, I was the first uh, Australian to umpire a regular season Major League Baseball game. And uh, currently, I'm still the only one. Uh, we do have one more who's currently in AAA and knocking at the door. So fingers crossed that uh, he gets there soon. <laughs> so he joins the, uh, the very short list that is only myself. That's right. Well, at least uh, from that standpoint, he can never be the first. He'll always be the first. So even if he does, uh, hopefully he does make it, but uh, he'll be still hold that title of the first one to get there. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to hopefully having him uh, join the list. We do have another uh, guy who's actually uh, Japanese, but we kind of claim him as Australian as well. He's also in AAA. So um, we're kind of hoping we can add a few more uh, Australians to that list. So, just since you kind of went there first, what what is the list look like of international? Are you what's what's the level of the current umpires who are from other countries other than the U.S.? Is there a certain percentage, a certain amount? Of what's do you know the breakdown of that? I do not know the breakdown. Um, 
but they are, you know, Major League Baseball is is trying to become a much more global sport. So there are a lot more uh, international people uh, getting hired full time. I know there's uh, Canadians, uh, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, Mexicans, um, not any, none from uh, Japan or Asia yet. But right. like I said, there are a couple that are trying to get in there. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, it's it's got to be pretty challenging to get in there. And we'll jump into that in a little bit as well. But if you could just take our listeners who are just kind of who may not be involved with baseball or don't know the game at all. Let's start with tell them a little bit about who you are, where you're from originally, and how you made it to the U.S. from Australia. Yeah, so uh, born and raised in a town called Perth, Western Australia. It's one of the uh, bigger cities in Australia on the uh, West Coast. And um, I grew up playing t-ball, which is a very popular sport for younger kids back home in Australia, um, much like uh, cricket and Australian rules football. Um, But grew up playing t-ball and um, just enjoyed it that much. My natural progression was into baseball, started in Little League, or we call it Pee Wee Baseball, and then um, progressed into that. And then uh, got into umpiring kind of as a little side gig Um, One of my best friends, dad, used to umpire all of our games or a lot of our games. And uh, my best friend started umpiring just as something fun to do when he was younger. And um, Mm. myself and my twin brother, Kyle, followed suit. Uh, Instead of going to work at McDonald's on the weekends, we decided to umpire baseball for extra cash. So um, turns out I was a a better umpire than I was a player. So uh, (laughs) I... Quit, quit playing when I was uh, 17 and went into umpiring full-time and uh, did pretty much every level imaginable in Australia. I uh, did uh, several national championships, youth national championships. I worked the, um, the early stages of the new uh, Australian Baseball League. And then eventually the Australian Baseball Federation actually sent me over here to the U.S. to the Jim Evans Umpiring Academy. And okay. um, the intention of that is was for us to come over, get full training. It's a six, five to six week course back then. Um, and you learn everything from the first word in the rule book all the way to the last word in the rule book, all the positioning, mechanics, you name it. Um, whether you're an experienced umpire or a new umpire, you leave that camp pretty much knowing everything that you need to do um, to be a successful umpire at any level. And um, I, uh, the intention was to come over here, learn that training, and then us Australians would go back to Australia, and then we would then become instructors and teach new umpires the new teachings that they would have. Um, a couple of years before I went to umpire school, um, my best friend went, uh, Bert Robson. He went to umpire school and actually got hired into minor league baseball. And then... Um, I think it was just the next year, the following year, myself and uh, Travis Hatch went um, to the umpire school and we both got hired by minor league baseball out of the umpire schools. Um, and how, how and, old were you? Uh, how old were you at that point? So I was 20 when I went to the umpire camp and um, I got hired and worked my first year when I was 21. Wow. So that path sounds like it was... Now, I want to say straightforward, but since you already hopped in there and knew once you were done playing that, hey, this is what I want to do. Tell us a little bit about like how challenging that was. So just from where once you stopped playing to 
to take in to going to the academy and coming out what, what was that how how challenging was that for you so uh for me it was when i was uh, when i quit playing and got into umpiring full-time i was very fortunate there was four of us in western australia there was uh, myself my twin brother kyle brett robson and travis hatch and we were this little niche of younger umpires and um we were super competitive with each other but it was a good competitive we wanted to outdo each other we wanted to compete against each other right. um, and that really helped us uh push each other along um so the four of us would would we were the ones fighting for you know youth national championships throughout australia and trying to you know get to the next level and, and whatnot um and then when brett got hired um it kind of opened another door that because no one else had been hired from Australia to go into professional baseball until he did. Um, right. So when he got hired, it kind of opened the door and opened another opportunity for us, another avenue that we never really thought would be um, possible until he had, until that happened. Right. I'd always dreamt of, of wondering what it would be like to umpire Major League Baseball because um, who wouldn't, you know, at that at, when you're right. competing like that. Um, so when I got to go to the umpire school, you know, it's on the other side of the planet from Perth. Uh, people don't know that. So I was 20 um, and flew to the other side of the planet um, by myself with um, and just umpired and learned how to go. So for that, that was a little different. That was, you know, interesting. It was eye-opening. It was an experience. It was a quick way to grow up. Right. Um, and But it was also, you know, you miss your family, of course, and your friends back home. But, um, you know, and then kind of, just wanting to try and get into minor league baseball and be the next person to get in that door and, and stay in touch with uh, Brett and not be have him not be the only one kind mm -hmm. of a, a motivating factor. And and during that whole process, for anyone who is listening, tell John, tell the listeners how how far of a flight it is from Perth to <laughs> to where you had to get to. Yeah. So uh, so the. the the academy was in uh, Florida, so usually, including layovers and and you know flights and whatever, it's usually it takes about thirty hours total. Um, the actual longest flight usually is from like Brisbane to LA or Melbourne to Sydney to LA, and that's usually about the, anywhere from fifteen to sixteen and a half hours. So for for listeners who are listening, that that shows some dedication to hop on a plane. Uh, 17, 18 years old, fly 30 plus hours across <laughs> across the world to something that you're not sure if it's going to work out yet. So you went into that with a kind of a leap of faith, even though you had that passion for it, it was really, you were still taking that risk of like, what if this doesn't work out? Right. Um, so speaking to that, what was uh, during that whole process in your kind of memory of that time, what was one of the biggest or the biggest obstacle you had to face during that when you first kind of jumped in? So getting to the umpire school, you know, the biggest obstacle is is the competition that's there. So the year I went, um, we had there's two different schools. There was a Jim Evans Umpire Academy, which is the one I went to. And there was another one, uh, the Wendell Stat Umpire Academy. Right. And um, each of those schools had about 100, 150 people or trying there to try and get a spot into the next level uh, and get hired. So the biggest obstacle is trying to be one of those people that stood out and, um, you know, to, to compete like that. And 
you know, when you see all these other younger people, um, younger umpires, um, guys that probably have more experience, some don't have more experience, trying to get such a few amount of jobs, you know, it, every day that we're, we were there, we had to be, you know, on our toes, uh, try to be first in line, try to be seen and, and stand out. Um, that for sure was probably the biggest obstacle, um, you know, when it comes to the, the competition and getting hired into minor league baseball. What was that competition like? What would make somebody who, for, again, for somebody who's listening and doesn't know anything about baseball or umpiring and, and really the, the skills it takes to, to do well in that field, like what, what is that? What was that competition like? What, what set you apart from, you know, your, your peers and then the others that were in that, in that camp? minor league baseball, you know, they're always looking for the next potential candidate to be a big league umpire. And um, one of the biggest things, especially in minor league baseball, is they're looking for someone that, that one, looks apart, two, is athletic, that can get to where they need to go on the baseball field, whether it's run down to first base, run down to third base, run out on fly balls. Um, also, you got to have really good rule knowledge. Um, you know, you can obviously can't go out there and, you know, mess up rules and whatnot. But one of the biggest things that they look for is someone who's teachable at that level. You know, someone that is is willing to listen, willing to learn, and, and someone that they can mold into the person that they're looking for. Um, so, you know, when you're out there on the field and you do something a certain way, and if they, you know, uh, criticize you and say, no, we want it done this way, Next time you do it that way, that's what they're looking for. Someone that's going to listen and willing to change what they need to uh, in order to become what they're looking for. Once you were finished with that camp and you you did that, did I understand you correctly? Did you head back to Australia with the intentions of becoming an instructor over there? So initially, after the actual uh, six-week, five-week camp, um, where they get... Uh, a certain few out of each camp get selected to go to the um, evaluation course, which is another course, which is actually run by minor league baseball. And um, things have changed a little bit differently now. It's not run the same way as it used to uh, back then. So um, after that initial camp finished, I stayed in, in the U S for uh, about a week and then went back down to Florida uh, for that, another evaluation course, which is where we're actually, evaluated by minor league baseball um, supervisors who are the ones that pick us um, to do the job. And then at the end of that time, everyone gets ranked, let's say there's 50 people um, on that list. Everyone gets ranked one through 50. Mm -hmm. And then on how many jobs become available that year, let's say there's 48 jobs become available. Then the top 48 get hired into minor league baseball. So uh, after that finished, I ended up going home and uh, we didn't know this until late because of being an international person and then not being able to get visas in time. They actually skipped us on the list. Myself and Travis Hatch, we got skipped over on the list and they didn't call us until the end of the season. We didn't know until like November, I think, that we'd actually been hired wow. into um, minor league baseball. So it was a little, little different, a little odd for us. Because um, most of the time, a lot of the guys will, as soon as, if their number gets called, they go, boom, straight in two weeks, they're, they're in minor league baseball. But for us, we had to wait until the, the very next season. Right. And that, that had to be like for you guys just coming over, I mean, a little on the edge of your seat moment. 
I'm wondering if you if you if you made it and then um and then when you got that um call that you did what was that what was that feeling like so um i actually got a call from uh travis hatch it was actually a text message from from the time because he he'd emailed one of the people um over here and was like hey uh just we hadn't heard anything just wondering they're like oh yeah yeah you guys got hired we just skipped over you um so i never really got a phone call for that which was kind of weird it was just more like an email saying oh yeah sorry we forgot to tell you but yeah we uh (laughs) you'll be coming over for extended spring training next year uh, to get started. Wow. That's funny. Um, and then in playing off of that and when people listen to your, your story so far, one of my um, mentors always, uh, you know, one of the things he always says is we all have a personal story that inspires us to take major steps towards achieving um, a dream job in life. Is it fair to say, you know, getting this job and, and, and with the hopes of becoming a major league umpire, that that was, you know, that's what your dream job, dream job was. And, and if so, um, uh, what was, what's that one step that you're glad that you took to, to taking that leap? Yeah. Becoming a major league umpire was definitely my dream job. That was, I mean, to, to be able to achieve that would have been awesome. And, um, you know, taking that, that leap, that step to go to, uh, professional umpire school was, you know, that, that big step, that was the first step. You have to go to one of those schools. Um, so being able to do that, um, and, and achieving that, and then finally getting hired, um, you know, that, that was a really good feeling. And then once I was hired, it was then a matter of creating different goals throughout my minor league career that I had to achieve in order to get to becoming a big league umpire. Cause it's not like you, you know, a player gets drafted, you know, depending on how good they are. Right. You know, let's say Bryce Harper, for example, he goes and plays maybe half a season in minor league baseball, and then he's in the big league straight away. It doesn't happen with umpires. We start down at the bottom of the Gulf Coast League, and then we work our way each year through through the ranks until we're eventually um, looked at by Major League Baseball. So setting those goals at different levels to try and attain that was my that was my process that I went through. Okay, hey, this year I got to get you know to here. This year I got to get to here. This year, you know, etc. Right. Tell us a little bit about that. Like, you have your personal goals set in mind with a certain target dates that you'd like to kind of keep climbing that ladder. What's that process like for them to sit and evaluate John or any other empire to to take those to get that next call up? Is it? like a report card for, you know, like school that, Hey, we're going to grade you on your accuracy and, and things like that. What's that process like? like? How do they, how do you know you, you know, you're eligible to take that next leap or, and, and what's that process like? Yeah. So um, again, I think things have changed a little bit nowadays, um, but back when I was going through, um, we would get evaluated by evaluated um, supervisors a couple of times a year and each time uh, sometimes we wouldn't know when they were coming sometimes we maybe could see them in the stands um so which is why you know every night you went out there you had to work like someone was watching no matter what so um the evaluation process was um like you said just like a report card at the end of the year we got you know, it was broken down in little sections, you know, right. plate mechanics, base mechanics, uh, handling situations, demeanor, appearance, all that stuff. And, you know, anything negative or positive that they had was written in this report for you to read at the end of the year. 
But at each level, so for example, in rookie ball, you know, let's say there's 47 umpires. Again, mm-hmm. those 47 umpires got ranked one through whatever. And then depending on your position and how many spots became available the next year as to whether or not you moved up in, the, in a certain level. And then um, obviously you had a certain amount of time to move through the levels. They wouldn't like, just leave you in, you know, rookie right. ball for three years. Right. After three years, you haven't, well, even after one year, two years, you haven't progressed out of rookie ball, they will release you and move on to the next. The time difference um, between levels of, you know, from instructional ball to class A, double A, triple A is, so there is a set uh, time frame that they, that clock starts for each umpire once they hit that, or is it go by like professional baseball, for example, where if you're still playing triple A baseball at 31 years old, your time is probably passed. Is that like, what's that, what's that process? Yes. Yeah, so, so there is a progression. It's not written in stone. You know, it's not high hand at the lower levels. They want you to progress through pretty quickly. Uh, once you get to uh, double A, you usually have three years, sometimes four, if you're lucky. So you'll be in double A, it's a three umpire crew. So in your first year in double A, you'll start out as the, the three man on the on the uh, crew. Then the second year, they'll want you to be a, a two man. And then the third year, they'll want you to be a crew chief. And then from there, you get promoted up into AAA. Once you get into AAA, it's a little different um, because we're, we're now evaluated by uh, Major League Baseball, not Minor League Baseball. So usually you get the same kind of three years. Um, sometimes they can, if they really don't like you, get rid of you earlier. But right. usually you've got at least three years so you can get to that crew chief level. But also the biggest thing when you get to AAA is um, your goal is to get to the Arizona Fall League, which is like the umpire prospect league. It's like the, the step right before becoming a fill-in umpire. Mm-hmm. Um, so once you get to AAA and you're in AAA, your goal then becomes, I got to get to the Arizona Fall League. And you try and do that as quick as possible. And once you're, so is that the equivalent of, you know, um, umpiring spring training games, or is that something different? That's something different. So spring training, you know, every year you do spring training, you don't do big league spring training, but every year you do uh, minor league spring training, you usually get sent to it. You know, like for example, I was, I spent a lot of my time at the Orioles camp down in uh, Sarasota. Um, but then once you get the full league, you know, the same thing will happen, except when you, you then have the ability to be added to spring training, major league baseball spring training. Um, and then again, if you're, that's kind of when you know you're, you're really being looked at by major league baseball is when you're doing those games and they want you doing those games. Um, so that's kind of when you know that you're, you're on the edge. So, so from that point, tell the listeners, like what was your, once you made that next progression, how quickly you progressed and assuming those steps hit your timeframes. Like what, w- what was your progression, your personal progression like? So right from rookie ball, uh, you know, I went through rookie ball one year. Um, I went next year. I went to, um, where did I go? I went to the Northwest league and the Midwest league, which was low season, low A. Uh, I spent one year there. Then I went to the California league, which is uh, high A. Spent a year there. Then I went into double uh, A for three years, the Eastern league. And then I got promoted up into uh, AAA 
Um, I ended up spending five years in AAA total. On my third year, I went to the Arizona Fall League. Um, and then after that, I was very fortunate. Um, when we were at the, the year I went to the Arizona Fall League, it was a year that um, we actually did, we were the guinea pigs for a replay, uh, right when Major League Baseball was implementing that. So um, that following year, replay got in, implemented. They hired a bunch of extra full-time big league umpires. So they had more uh, call-up guys that they needed. So uh, nearly all of us that went to Arizona Fall League that year uh, got added to the MLB fill-in call-up list. That had to be exciting and stressful at the same time for you, being the guinea pig to try this new system out and also you know, getting on that list and getting that call at the same time. Was it a little more nerve-wracking for you to technically, uh, you know, they're you know, like you watch um, baseball on TV now and you see the box over the home plate, um, you know, call for balls and strikes. Was that one of the things that they were working on back then that you got a chance to be involved with or is it something completely different? So the little box on TV, don't trust it. Don't <laughs> anyone that's listening here, do not trust that thing. It's not accurate whatsoever. Um, but the they have had strike zone enforcement systems in place for, for quite a while, actually, a lot longer than... Um, than what replay has been around. So when I was at the fall league and, and doing big league spring training, we did have this, uh, it was called the ZE zone enforcement system, which is a lot more accurate than that little box on the TV. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it that it's actually very useful because it, it kind of helps you understand the strikes of where pitches, you know, are and whatnot, because, um, you know, it's not as easy as you think calling balls and strikes. You know, people just think it's easy, but it's really not. Um, so it's something like that. And then, and then even replay, like a lot of people were like, Oh, I bet the umpires aren't going to like replay. Umpires love replay because, you know, it, it's eliminated so many things, um, you know, so many arguments. It takes some of the stress out of uh, the day to day um, situations that you could have. Um, you know, we go back to uh, Jim Joyce and the, mm -hmm. the perfect game call. If, if replay was there, he's got a, that call's overturned. There's no arguing. There's no death threats being sent to Jim Joyce and his family and, and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So umpires right. are all for, um, for replay and, and, and the strike zone enforcement. Um, the robo strike zone, I don't think is going to be, it's not there yet. But, right. um, I think in certain ways it will help the game, but I don't think a full, uh, robot calling the entire game is going to work too well, but that's right. my opinion. So, yeah, the the traditionalists uh, who you know who have been watching baseball for you know 40, 50 years, I think the opinion on instant replay and the strike zone box that you see on TV and all the other little gadgets they're working on, and I don't know, maybe you know this answer. Last year they were talking about maybe it was for the start of this season a pitch count, sort of like a shot clock in basketball. Has that and have they started that, or what's your knowledge on that? Yeah, so there there are um, there are pitch clocks and action clocks, as they call it. Um, it in the big leagues, it, it hasn't gone into effect there yet, but it has gone into minor league baseball, and they've actually shortened it. It used to be twenty seconds. They've actually shortened it quite a bit, and so far, it's actually working in minor league baseball. Uh, game times are down, you know, about 30, 35 minutes, from what I understand. Um, now, whether that is something that 
Major League Baseball Players Association is going to want. You know, their guys, you know, being forced to hurry up and rush, and you know, right. especially when there's so much money on the line for those right. players and whatnot. I don't know, um, but it will get there at some point, just like um, some sort of robo uh, strike zone will. Um, you know, they're they're currently testing a, a, a replay or a challenge system on the strike zone now instead of using just the full zone complete for the entire game, right. which I think could work. You know, hey, if you think I missed strike three on your batter in the you know bottom of the ninth, let's challenge it. Let's get it right. But, you know, um, who knows what's going to happen? You know, it's, it's right. wait and see, I guess. Right. And I guess that that kind of that makes sense overall. And when you're talking about million dollar athletes on the mound, hurrying them along and, you know, tearing a muscle or, or, or risking a, a pull, I assume it has to weigh into the deciding factors for like the players association or, you know, the uh, major league baseball in general. So I'm sure that has to be part of the conversation at some point, if it's not already, what's John Byrne, what are you currently working on? Are you still involved, you know, with baseball to a degree? I know, you know, you were um, doing some collegiate um, conference tournaments and things like that, but what, what else are you working on right now? Yeah. So um, since I got released, I got released uh, from, minor league baseball in 2015. So since then I've been umpiring college baseball. Uh, I primarily do uh, the ACC uh, as well as a couple other uh, smaller divisions. Um, trying to work my way up through the list, you know, this year um, I was very fortunate. I got to work my first regional out in uh, Corvallis, Oregon. Um, so my goal for college baseball is, is, you know, I'd love to be the first Australian to umpire a college world series one day. Um, <laughs> But who knows? That's that's a long that's another long slow process. So we'll just keep plugging away at that. Um, but I'm also uh, actually in September heading off to Germany uh, for the World Baseball Classic qualification round. Um, I was asked to be the Australian representative for that. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm looking forward to that trip. That's going to be uh, 11 days over there in Germany, and um, the two winners from that uh, are being. Um, will compete for the World Baseball Classic in spring of 2023. Wow. What's that next step from there? Is that also scored similar as you kind of make the steps now through college baseball, like similar to, or is it based off experience to get that call to, to um, you know, umpa a college World Series game? What's what's that system like? So, so it's almost like this, it's, it's a similar system. It, it's, you know, you gotta, we get evaluated by local area evaluators. Um, NCAA have their own supervisors that they send out. Um, they do reports on you and whatnot. And then it, it's the same thing. Um, you know, you get added to the list, you get on the watch list um, if they like what you're doing. Um, and then you, you just keep working. Um, it does, college can be political at times. Um, you know, it's changing now. Right. Um, back in the day, it used to be the good old boys club. Um, but now it's, it's you know, there's a lot more guys coming out of minor league baseball going into college baseball because the money's getting a lot better. Um, yeah. And now that there's more money in baseball, um, especially the ACC, the ACC now has the ACC network, um, which produces a lot of money. So the ACC wants umpires on the field that look the part and know what they're going to know what they're doing on the field. Um, so it's getting more competitive in the college levels. Right. Um, so again, that just, you know, it's, it's the same thing with, with minor league baseball. You're trying to, you know, there's only so many people can go to the ACC tournament. 
there's only so many people that can go to the College World Series. How am I going to get there? Um, you know, right. what do I need to do to be able to get that that goal? Right. Anyone who is a baseball fan who watches, you know, the College World Series out in Omaha, it, as a fan, it's exciting just to watch it. And the pressure that you see these umpires and players deal with, it almost seems more pressure than than the major league players do um, to get the calls right. And um, from the player's perspective is to deliver that clutch hit. So that would be an awesome experience, uh, you know, when you get that call, but I'm sure it'll come. Um, tell tell the audience real quick, what was it like to get that that call to and step out on that field? And talk us through that first call up and that, you know, when you, that first game when you stepped out there. What, what was that like? So for Major League Baseball? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I got the call and they, 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 they were trying to joke with me, mess around that I'd messed up on a field. I'd just been evaluated by a local uh, supervisor and uh, they had called me. They were trying to joke with me saying, what the hell are you doing? Why are you messing up out there? I was like, what do you mean? He, he didn't say nothing to me. And they're like, yeah, we're just kidding. Um, we actually need you to go to uh, D.C. Uh, I worked my first game at the uh, Nationals. And um, they're like, you got a little bit of time. Um, so that way, and they, they picked D.C. So that way it was closer to Charlotte. So at least, uh, you know, Kim, my family could make it. Right. Um, and my parents actually flew over for it as well, all the way from Australia. I'd hate to know how much they paid for a late notice right. flight, but um, yeah, they obviously weren't going to miss that. Um, and it was it was kind of nuts because I was because I was the first Australian. There was so much media attention for it, especially back home in Australia. Um, I think I did like six phone interviews. Um, you know. Um, and of course, I'm on the other side of the planet. I'm in like Buffalo, New York. And they're like, uh, yeah, we want to do a radio interview. And so at like 1130 at night, I'm trying to do this radio interview to right. Sydney, Australia. It was it was weird. But um, and then even even when I was at D.C., Major League Baseball had certain people that they flew into uh, to cover um, the game. They flew in their own photographer uh, for that specific reason, um, which is really cool because I got a bunch of cool photos that right. a lot of people probably didn't get. Um, but to, to step out on that field, you know, I'd stepped out on, on big league fields for some spring training games and whatnot. Um, but that's, you know, which was still exciting and awesome. And, you know, right. you walk out of Texas, I did a game in uh, Texas Arlington spring training breakout game. It was Texas versus um, Mexico city. Right. And, um, it was packed. And it was nuts. There was more fans there cheering for Mexico City than there were the Rangers. Wow. Um, mariachi bands. It was it was it was intense. But to actually step out on the field for your first big league game, um, there's no there's no real words to describe it. It was it was a dream come true. It was something that I've worked for for 11 years in minor league baseball. Not to mention that the time before I got hired. Um, so it was a long, long time coming and well worth it. Yeah. And, and I have to imagine and knowing for those who are listening that don't know the backstory, John's actually married to my cousin, uh, Kim. And so I did get to see John umpire some double A and I think triple A, uh, but never got to see the uh, major league part side of it. Um, and seeing the the fan difference between a, a double A game in New Britain, Connecticut, for example, versus stepping out into the uh Texas Arlington or DC um, had to be surreal for you. So that first time out, what was it like? Like, where, like, where were you positioned? Like, what 
we're on the field were you and like how nervous were you like <laughs> to make that first call uh, even though you've been through the you made so many calls before prior to that moment and really it's just another call right it's just now you're on the major league stage and what was that like for you personally yeah so i i worked second base in my first game um which is good because it kind of allows you to go into the outfield, our starting positions out, kind of out behind second base. Um, so it allowed me to go out there and kind of just take it all in, look around um, while the warm-up pitches are happening and kind of just get settled in and focused. And and then once the game starts, it's everything around you just, it just goes away and you just focus in on what you got to do. Um, the pressure of it again, you know, it's just like every other game. You know, when you're in AAA and you got someone, a supervisor sitting in the stands, you know, it, it, it's just as nerve wracking because you're trying to do everything right um, and the, the way that they want to. And um, I still remember in my first big league game, I got overturned on a call at second base. Uh, oh, wow. It was a steal play. Um, yeah, it was a steal play. But the only angle they had, and it was nuts, I couldn't believe it. The only angle they had was from third base. Uh, looking up to second base. And right. uh, I remember watching it on the big screen and seeing this one angle. I was like, okay, that's wonderful. And uh, my replay official um, actually sent me a text message that I got to read after the game. And he was like, he's like, dude, he's like, do not be upset that you got that call wrong. He's like, if you got that right on the field, you got it wrong. Because in just the way that the play happened, right. uh, the, it was a, it was a high tag on the on the head, but his hand was was like situated like just like this over the right. Place. Wasn't actually in contact with him, so in, in full speed it looks like he's safe, easy. But then it turned out he was out, and the guy was like, "Don't worry, if if someone got that right on the field, they actually got it wrong." He's like, right. "That's one yeah. where replay bites you." Yeah, that had to be nerve wracking for you, even though with the experience um, that you've had to almost like that first get that first major league hit out of the way or you know that you're put out into the field you want to get that first you know line drive your way catch the ball get that under your belt get those get those butterflies out of your stomach so i have to imagine that was uh you know even though the call didn't go your way but you got that under your belt and was that your first call did i, did I understand that right no it wasn't the first one i had a couple uh, before that um what made it kind of even better was like, I think the very next inning or an inning and a half later, I had another, like a one that probably should have gone to replay. Um, that was a lot harder to see, a lot harder to tell. And as soon as I called it, it's like, you look over the dugout and you're like, are they going to challenge it? And then no one challenged it. I was like, at least I got yeah. one right. And so from your experience being on the field and, and I'm sure you've worked every position on the field, What's the hardest position for to uh, to be an umpire like and to and to make those calls that you know all eyeballs are on you you know every you know every play so to speak. Yeah, so as umpires, we don't specialize at, at one base or the other. We rotate. We do everything. So um, by far the hardest, and it, it, I wouldn't say it's the hardest, but it's the one that involves the most work. Is definitely working the plate because uh, every single pitch you're in it. Um, you got all the gear on and, and you're relied. Whereas you work in third base. Sometimes if you're working third base, you might not have a single call all game. Right. But that doesn't mean that third base isn't hard as well, because all of a sudden, if you're, you know, you got that one play, you need to be ready for that one play. Right. Right. But, but definitely, you know, especially in the heat, strapping all that gear on, getting out there, having to do, you know, 
three, 400 squats a game. Right. You know, it's the plate is definitely the hardest and the most taxing. Um, but it is also more fun because it keeps you in the game involved. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. Personally, I personally like first base the best um, because I don't have to put that gear on, but you have more to do at first base. Right. Yeah. And it seems like behind the plate, even though it's, it's exciting to be there, but also nerve wracking at the same time. And I agree, like just watching it and as a fan, just the the up and down and the activity is just it definitely keeps you on top of your game versus you know being out in right field or somewhere where you might lose your train of thought and you're like wait what inning is it or you know, you yeah. really you're really relied upon so so that was your first game and I remember another game where you did and it was I believe it was in New York I mean with the Mets maybe. The Mets. Yep. Was that your what game was that? Was that your second call up or no? Was, my series, my series with the Mets. That was my third series, and that was the, the last weekend of the year, the uh, last series of the year. And um, I remember working the plate there. Um, funny story about that one was I was working the plate on the final day of the year, and uh, Bobby Abreu's up to bat, and all of a sudden he just gets a. It's like the fourth inning or fifth inning or something. And he just gets a regular base hit and the crowd just starts going bananas. I'm like, okay, wait. And then all up, he was retired. That was his final game. We had to stop the game. All the players went over and gave him hugs and whatnot. I was like, oh, well, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. So being being a part of that moment had to be like uh, for that series. I remember seeing that one because I remember, I believe it was your wife, Kim, who had sent a message. Hey, John's going to be on. So finally I got the call, uh, you know, catch that. So that was pretty cool to see that and experience that from a fan's perspective. So what is uh, one thing, Master, earlier, kind of what you were working on, and then you had mentioned, you know, umpiring. Are you working on, I believe you mentioned earlier when we had talked, what, Wounded Warrior Project? And yeah, so uh, so I'm involved with the Wounded Warrior Umpire Academy. Um, so we're an umpire academy that, um, you know, we get wounded veterans from all over the country uh, together. We host a... 10-day camp in June. Um, I've been involved with them now for, I've done four camps since 2018. I've been with them. Um, I just got added to the board, um, which is exciting. Um, We went up to Carlisle, Pennsylvania uh, this past June. And um, we we take these veterans and, and some have umpiring experience, some have never umpired before in their life. And we take them and it's just like a, every other umpire camp, but with a little twist um, because some of these guys can't move the way that, you know, right. young, young umpires can. Um, so we get them together and we teach them everything that they need to know to be able to go back to their homes, join their local associations. And um, it, it gives them a purpose outside of the military. It gives them another group that they can connect with another group of umpires and friends and um with similar interests, but no longer uh, military-based. Because um, a lot of these guys, you know, when they get hurt, you know, out in the, in the military and all of a sudden they're no longer in the military, it's like, well, what do I do now? So um, right. this is a great avenue um, for them. Umpiring baseball actually has quite a strong brotherhood. I can go to um, pretty much any state in this country, and I know people that live there. i got friends that would let me sleep on their couch. And this is kind of the, the thing that we wanted to do with the, um, the Major Wilson when he started the camp 
that's kind of what he wanted to do is he wanted to be able to bring wounded veterans from all over the uh, country together for the purpose of, of, of networking and creating this brotherhood um, that they would normally have had in the military. Um, right. So getting them together and, and we do, we do more than just baseball. The mm -hmm. baseball is just an excuse to get these uh, veterans together. Because um, right. outside of this 10-day camp, we do host a bunch of other uh, camps, uh, um, tournaments. Um, they got one coming up in um, on Veterans Weekend, Veterans Day weekend, where these umpires will be able to fly down and umpire Little League Baseball, or, or I think they're doing like under 16, 17 group baseball. Now, these veterans aren't getting paid to do, do these games. Right. The money that would normally go to umpires for those games is actually going to our association. And we use that money to fly those umpires to that and house them. And it doesn't cost these um, veterans anything. Um, right. In our 10-day camp, it's all um, you know free for the veterans. So they're getting this experience. And what levels have you seen so far of the progression, you know, once they you know, they graduate, what are some of the roles that you've seen some of them fill other than, you know, they're going back? Has anyone actually in the talks, you know, with maybe potentially, are, are they able to make that kind of progression you did of instructional ball or, you know, depending upon their injury and, and, and that have, what's, is that an option for them? It, it's always an option. Usually with the veterans though, is they, they tend to be, um, because a lot of them have been in the military for quite some time. They're usually a little bit older than what minor league baseball is looking for. Um, we have had some younger guys um, go through and go to umpire school um, with the intent to try and get hired. Um, we actually have, I think, 16 or 17 this year going to the uh, Wendelstadt uh, umpire school, wow. um, which is which was it blew our minds that so many of them want to do this. Um, but a lot of them are trying to just, they, they do this because, you know, they've fallen in love with umpiring. They love everything about the camp. They love everything about umpiring and they just want to better themselves. Um, you know, whether it's to just give them something to do to become a better umpire um, or these professional umpire schools also help with like their, their progression through their ranks in their areas, whether it's, um, you know, high school baseball, JUCO, uh, college baseball, um, you know, whatever division they're at. So a lot of the guys, you know, especially if they're just starting out, they'll usually start out in high school and then they're, they're going to try and progress through the ranks um, up into right. college baseball. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's awesome that you're involved with that. It sounds like a great project and I wish you luck continued to kind of shape and mold someone else's dreams too. So that that's fantastic. Now, from your standpoint of with your career and everything with baseball and your knowledge that you've kind of, you know, you gained along the way, what would you say, or could you say to anyone out there who is questioning whether they have, they have what it takes to take that step. You mentioned earlier, they've got to go to umpiring school. That's, you can't avoid that. But if someone's questioning their like whether they can do it or not, what would, what would you say to that person? They just got to do it. Um, you know, Things have, like I said, uh, things have changed a little differently um, from when I went through. The process is a little different now. There's uh, different avenues for you to go. Uh, college baseball, like I said earlier, is paying a lot more money nowadays than it used to. Um, so a lot of guys who went through professional baseball 
and got released, never really went into college baseball because they were just like, I'm done with baseball. Now a lot of the guys are are doing it. So it's definitely worth um, doing, Um, you know, whether you think you can or not, there's only one way to find out and that's to do it. Um, if you're at the, if you're new to umpiring, if you're a, an experienced guy, the only way to get better is to go to camps and, and learn. And, and so reaching out to your local assigners, your coordinators, um, people who are hosting camps in different areas of the country, feel free to travel to different areas and, and get different teachings from different people. Um, by all means, get out there and do it because that's the only way you're going to find out. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, which leads me to a couple rapid fire questions. And if you got a couple, a couple more minutes, I want to fire away at a couple more questions really fast for you. With your experience and with you, and, and having said what you just offered as far as advice, um, would you ever considered writing a book with your uh, knowledge and experience and putting that into pen to paper? No, I've, <laughs> I've forgotten too much about what I've done in the past. I, that's one thing I do wish I, I, you know, looking back now, you know, hindsight's, you know, a wonderful thing. I'd wish I had just written down all the different stories and all the different, um, you know, even if it was just taking little notes of things for me to remember. Um, that's one thing I do wish I had done. Um, some guys have done that. Some guys, uh, you know, big league umpires have written books. Um, they've got minds like steel traps. Um, some guys can do it. I just don't have the details stored up in here to be able to remember most of my stories. Right. Well, I mean, a, a good friend of mine always says, uh, you know, we all have, uh, we all have one story in us. So it, I'm sure it's in there. You just got to maybe take some time to kind of think about it and let it out. But I think it sounds like it'd be an interesting read. I, I know I'd buy it and, t- and check it out. So uh, maybe, maybe keep, uh, keep that in the back of your mind of something to kind of, you know, as you take that next step, maybe when you get that call to umpire that college world series, you know, that light that fire back of, Hey, I got all the memories that are coming back. So I can write that. I can write a little memoir now. <laughs> so, well, even, even though you say you won't, um, or you don't think you would, what would, if you did, what would you call it? Like what would that baseball book call? Oof, to... I, I don't know. I <laughs> couldn't even tell you. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that, um, that would take some thinking. That, that would yeah so well maybe like i said maybe it'll come to you once you get that that final that that call of just like the major league call with that i gotta think of that exciting phone call to to umpire that first college world series game um so another question seeing that you're on a podcast called why not me what does that mean to you and what would you say to anybody kind of like you already advise them to just go for and just do it what would you say to that person who were, you know, they who were questioning themselves about um, that they can, you know, achieve what you achieved or even anything for that matter of of a dream job for them? Like, what does that why not mean um, mean to you? Well, yes, yeah, the the why not me was was something that kind of you know was what we kind of used, I guess, in a way was our motivation to become a big league umpire to try and become a big league umpire. I'm like, you, you watch guys on the current big league umpires. And you're like, I can do that. Why, why can't I do that? You know? Um, so for, especially for me, it was like wanting to be that first Australian to do, to do it. I was like, why, why can't an Australian do it? You know, um, there's, there's never been an Australian that's done it. So why not? You know, if it wasn't going to be Brett, if it wasn't going to be Travis, if it wasn't going to be my twin brother Kyle, why why couldn't it be me? And, and that was the the 
the motivating factor was, hey, you know, I want to be the first Australian. How cool would that be? Right. Uh, and sure enough, it was, why not me? I just wish yeah. it was full time, but, you know, <laughs> I got there. Hey, there's that, that purpose, uh, the whole reason why, um, you know, like same thing with me, you know, during this pandemic of writing a book and creating a podcast was to bring people on to inspire others that, you know, that your dreams can be achieved, you know, your, your passions drive um, your purpose and your passion is baseball and your purpose. It sounds like your purpose is, is still not done yet. So, you know, there, it sounds like there's a lot more coming for you. So, and you obviously have the drive. So, you know, hence the title person, passion, purpose, drive, right? So you actually have that to, to, you know, to, to reach that ultimate goal. So thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Hopefully everyone has enjoyed this podcast and John's brought a wealth of knowledge and fun stories. And um, John, we thanks for joining us and we appreciate your time and wish you the best. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye. joining us today. We hope you enjoyed John's message. I know I found it to be inspiring and encouraging and really just overall a great message to never give up and to keep fighting for your dreams. If you wish to follow John, you can follow John on Instagram and his handle is the underscore A-U-S-S-I-E underscore U-M-P. John also supports him, as he mentioned in his podcast, he works with the Wounded Warrior Academy for umpires who are in transition from leaving the military and to figuring out what's next for them. So if you're interested in helping out with that or seeking a way to be involved or maybe be a sponsor or give a donation, please check out the woundedwarriorua.org website, or you can email John at john, J-O-N dot B-Y-R ne at woundedwarrior.org. Again, thanks for joining us and hope you enjoyed John's message. And don't forget to give us a like and a review and to share our podcast with a friend. Have a great day. We'll see you next time.